0: Culture is that base element that creates behaviors, and then from there creates norms, and now you have society. And if you understand that, you can see why people do what they do. And if you are learning how to code, or if you're in the job search, you probably need to know a little bit about culture, but also a little bit about venture capital which is why we're interviewing Marlon Nichols, who is the co founder and managing partner of Cross Culture Ventures, which is a venture capital firm with culture at its thesis. For those of you that don't know, Venture Capital funds uh, several of the tech companies and startups that are driving the change in the tech community. And on this episode, uh, we don't just talk about uh, the story of how some of your favorite companies like Maven and Blavity uh, were created from a venture capital perspective. But we also learned more about how Marlon broke into startups himself, how he went from being a pro basketball player to a Kauffman fellow to his work at Intel, and how mentorship from Frida Kapor Klein uh, was uh, what led him to make the connection with Troy Carter, uh, who was Lady Gaga's manager and also an investor at Spotify and, um, and Uber and other companies like that. Um, if this is your first time listening to the podcast um, and you want to learn how to code and take the next step, feel free to email me, Ruben, at BreakingStarts.com. That's R-U-B-E-N or Artur turn Timor, which is A-R-T-U-R-T-I-M-U-R at BreakingIntoStartups.com. And also, if you want to listen to the backlog, we, we cover all kinds of episodes so you understand how uh, people work together inside of these companies how to navigate your way through the tech world and also how to identify people that are willing to respond to you when you reach out to them um, that are going to be down for you and help you get those referrals whenever you're ready to get a job um, if you like this episode share it with your friends join our community on facebook like our page and without further ado let's break in Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Arthur and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking the Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
1: Yeah. So this morning, it's Wednesday, it's 7 a.m. And our guest is actually in town from Malay. So we always say our guests don't come to us, we come to them. But in this case, it's kind of mutual. The guest is in town and we don't want to miss this interview. So we we're out here at the Workshop Cafe in the middle of uh, San Francisco. Ruben, can you please introduce the guest?
0: Man, it's really hard to introduce this guy because he's accomplished so much. We're, we're here with Marlon Nichols. He is the founding managing partner of Cross Culture Ventures. He co-founded it with Troy Carter. Formerly, he was a Intel director in their venture capital firm. He was a professional athlete. A Kauffman fellow has worked at several startups, and he's he's led investments in things like Gimlet Media, Mavement, Blavity, and does a lot of things outside of work. But before talking about those things, I just want to say happy birthday, Marlon! To three years in the game. Um, it's not very easy to do that. We're going to go into details on on um, how you structure the team and some of your accomplishments. But before that, let's just say welcome. Yeah. So why don't we just start off by talking about the name? I, I like the name Cross Culture. What does that mean?
2: Yeah. So, you know, when Troy and I sat down and we were thinking about creating a fund, we wanted to do something that was a little bit different. I was just coming out of Intel where I helped launch their, create and launch their diversity fund. And there was a lot of, lot of learning. Diversity has always been important to us, Mm -hmm. something we wanted to include, but it was like, well, what's at the heart of, you know, why are diverse teams so successful? Mm -hmm. Why is diversity even important? Right. Mm -hmm. And for us, what we came to is because it's the one thing that drives everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's dig into that a little bit. Right. And then we got to culture Mm -hmm. and then we said, all right, well, well, what is culture? And we said, all right, culture is that base element that creates behaviors and then from there creates norms. Mm -hmm. And now you have society. And if you can understand that, you can understand what's driving people to do the things that they do, to spend money on the things that they do, on things that they spend money on. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that successfully today, when a trend is emerging, you could essentially figure out what's going to be the great company of tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you know, if, if I see that you know people are I'm starting to buy fish, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and I understand why they're buying that, and and I invest in the fish market, and you know five years from now everyone is buying more and more fish, I got a successful business. Yep. So that's that's kind of the at the heart of it, right? So and the cross part of culture is like it's global, yep. right? It's not just about you know, the US or or Europe or any of that. It's all of it. It's what's happening around the world. What's happening in global culture? Yeah. What are the trends that are emerging globally? Yeah. Let's yeah. invest in those.
0: And I love that you emphasize culture and trends and things like that. I think Kanye West just tweeted something about how trend is always late, but if you're on the ground, you could see a lot of these things that are coming. So speaking of trends, like VC's invested into a lot of things, like what are some of the major sectors you all focus on? Because I think like, I'm not going to quote the stats, but you have invested in a significant number of underrepresented founders across different industries. But can you kind of tell us a little bit more about your stats and and what you see as trends and things that you've been able to position yourself ahead on before other people?
2: Yeah. So it's from a stats perspective, I think the one that you're looking for is we've invested in 66% of our portfolio led by people of color and or women, which, you know, I throw that number up against any other venture firm in the game. And the way that we get there is by, so I talked about popular culture, right? But what I didn't talk about yet is what drives popular culture and its subcultures, right? And if you look at specific subcultures like the black culture or the, or the Latinx culture, those are the main ones that drive global culture, right? So if, if you look at, and those groups outspend, any other group in you know in in this country right so if u s culture drives global culture and these subcultures in the u s drive u s culture, why aren't we paying attention to what they're up to mm-hmm. and and what are some of their unmet needs yep right yeah because if they're if they're willing to spend money on things that they don't need, imagine if you start to build stuff that they do need yep right so that's kind of how we see the world and then the reason for our diversity number is like, we don't go out looking for, okay, well, we want to invest in this black founder mm-hmm. because then you put kind of a, a tag on that founder's back. Like, oh well, you just got funded because you're black. Mm-hmm. Right. So now, you, now you're dealing with affirmative action and people think different ways about that. Right. Yeah. So we say, all right, well, what is this thing that we care about? What's this problem that we care about? Mm-hmm. And what is the, who's the best, what's the best team? To solve that problem. Yep. Right. And it's usually someone that has lived experiences mm-hmm. with that problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're solving for a problem that's in the hood, for instance, yeah. right? Like someone from the hood should be building a solution. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And most people in the hood kind of look like me. Yeah. So yeah. so that's that's yeah. how we that's how we get to it. And I think yeah. I think
1: a good example of it is Maven. And I know you've been an investor. Can you tell the listeners about what Maven
2: is doing and why you guys investing in them?
0: Yeah, shout out to yeah. Deshawn.
2: Yeah, 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 shout out. So yeah, Maven is a uh, it's a mobile distribution platform for hairstylists. So the challenge is that in urban communities, in underserved communities, the beauticians can't afford to carry inventory risk. Right, they're mm-hmm. most cases they're probably break even businesses, maybe a little bit cash flow positive. Right, mm-hmm. so to say you know, go buy, you know, I don't know, X number of of hair extensions, spend that money up front, keep it on stock, and then you may or may not sell it. That could send the business under, right? Mm -hmm. So they they can't do that. So they, traditionally, they've only been able to make revenue off of the service Mm -hmm. and they send their customers somewhere else to buy the product, buy the hair extensions, for instance. So what Maven did was said, look, we know supply chain, We know import, export. We can go get the product. And we also know logistics. We can go get the product. We know how much of it to get, how much to store, right? We can actually use a little bit of leverage as well in terms of debt so that we're paying for this stuff in an efficient way. And now when a customer comes in to that beauty salon and says, you know, I want this product, they can just pull out their phone and say, okay, well, go ahead and order it. Um, You order it. And it shows up for your next appointment because usually when you get in the weave, you it's it's not this appointment, it's the next one, mm-hmm. right? Or you're on the phone setting it up. Now the hairstylists get, I forgot what the percentage is, but let's call it 15% mm-hmm. of that, you know, of, of the product revenue, yeah. right? Whereas before they weren't Big getting an anything. Mm-hmm. So we've seen hairstylists like- that stopped actually doing hair mm-hmm. and just became like distributors, <laughs> distributors yeah. Yeah. sellers of hair yeah. because it was a more profitable business for them. Yeah, Right. And then you have the others that are, that are doing both. And and now you've, you've essentially changed people's lives yep. from the the hairstylist perspective. Now they're getting more money's coming into the business. So, you know, so, so their lives are better from the, the patron or the, or the customer perspective it's a much simpler process, right? Yep. You think about like a, you know, a single mom that's that's out there trying to get her hair done. She's got to figure out, okay, well, what do I do with the kid when I need to go get my hair done? Oh, now I have to go do another trip to go pick up this hair. Mm-hmm. So where do I find that time? Well, now it's just, okay, well, I'm on the phone with my hairstylist. They say this, I get the link. I do what I need to do. I show up one time, get my hair done and I'm, and I'm out of there. Yeah, and
0: to your point to solve that problem, You know, you have to be someone that's grew up in that type of environment, has seen it before. And can you talk a little bit about the founder and like why you invested in him specifically to solve this problem? Um, And then we could talk about teams for the investments that you build and go from there.
2: Yep. So it's always about who is the most qualified to to drive this thing forward, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a guy that grew up in a family of hairstylists Mm -hmm. in in the Oakland area, right? So he understands like the the struggle. He understands the business. He also spent time in China first teaching English. Interesting. So he's fluent in Mandarin. And then while he was there, he learned about import-export hmm. Mm-hmm. So like this is not a usual character. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's not it's not a lot of Deshaun Amiris <laughs> walking around, around. Right. Yeah. So and, and then his uh, co-founder Taylor was more on the technical side and, and logistics side. So you bring the two of them together, you, you can create something really, really unique. Yeah. And then so that, that's just from a skills perspective. But then, you know, heart is really, really important when when you talk about entrepreneurs, because. You guys know it, this is hard. Yeah. Right. And, you know, how do you know that this person or this team is gonna stick in there with you yep. as an investor, right? Because they've got to do it. They gotta they gotta do the work. And you know, when I first met Deshaun, we were in a random conference room that someone had pulled a bunch of people together to hear his idea. Mm-hmm. And I challenged him on the idea. Uh-huh. Right. So literally. We were there for, we we're supposed to be there for like 30 minutes and, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, very polite. Everyone just listen and, you know, and then say, okay, yeah, I want an angel investor. I don't. Yeah. It turned into an hour and a half argument between me and him <laughs> about what he was doing right, what he was thinking about, what parts of it were right, what parts of it were wrong. And like just the backbone that he showed, but still he showed like a willingness to hear my opinion. Even though he'd been looking at it for far longer than, than I had been. Yeah. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, we, we kind of kept in touch and I saw him implement some of the things that that we talked about. Yeah. So he was definitely like listening, but he wasn't going to just, you know, kind of lay down and be like, yeah. okay, well, that's, yeah, yeah, you know, just so to have me hear what he wants me to hear. Right. Yeah. So he was, he was real and he had conviction, yeah. but still he's willing to listen to other ideas.
0: Love it. Love it. And so, you know, going back to the situation about building these teams. So you invest in a big thing that investors do is definitely cut checks, but they also add a lot of other types of value. So how did you go about advising him or any of your other portfolio companies, you know, 66% underrepresented as far as like building their teams? Because team is like very, very key, oftentimes more than the idea. So how do you think about that for companies that are pre-product market fit? Because you tend to invest early stage.
2: Yeah. So it really depends on the need. I think when you are, when you're pre-product market fit, you don't need great athletes, so to speak, right? You need that shooter, that three-point shooter, or you need that post player or, Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, right? so it's about understanding what the company needs in order to figure out that product market market fit right is it a is it a product manager mm-hmm. right that again is going to you know talk to whatever the con- the consumer or customer base is mm-hmm. and build those insights into the product you know is it a salesperson you know someone that is very familiar with enterprise sales and has relationships with a lot of enterprise companies to you know, to take those first meetings so you can have the pilot conversations and and things like that. So it's about understanding what do they actually need in order to figure this thing out and then going through our, our network and helping them identify whoever that person is or whoever those people are. Yeah. And that's a, it's a unique, it's a unique attribute that we bring, our network that is, because it goes across bunch of different places like so you know we have great connections in in government mm-hmm. and you know given Troy's background media and, and entertainment mm-hmm. right in sports professional sports that's mm-hmm. for me and then also for me is um it, you know corporate uh, corporations right mm-hmm. I was in a very large corporation and my first job out of undergrad was leading global implementations for really big companies like Goldman Sachs and Mm -hmm. at the time Lehman Brothers, United Utilities, Network Rail, I still have those relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find, you know, a seed stage fund Mm -hmm. that can connect you across all those different worlds Mm -hmm. and bring all those things together in a way that works for entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of these teams and these three-point shooters and resources that you all bring together. Can you talk a little bit about sources of talent? Because I would assume, you know, like the founders that you invest in, their teams probably look different as well. And people say that this talent doesn't exist. So where does this talent come from? You do work with HBCUs and things like that. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: I mean, yeah. So that whole that whole concept of there isn't there there isn't the pipeline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's why we don't have diverse candidates. That's mm-hmm. bullshit. Mm-hmm. Right. It's um they're out there, you just have to look in the right places and be willing to give them a shot. Yep. Like we invested in a company out of Maryland, Baltimore, specifically called Catalyte. Mm-hmm. And and Catalyte is essentially at its core, it's a um it's a technology services company, right? It's mm-hmm. consulting, tech consulting. But what they do differently is they employ artificial intelligence to basically administer this aptitude test. Mm-hmm. Right. So their targets are not you know, Stanford or MIT CS majors. It's like someone that's coming out of community college Mm -hmm. or someone that has never worked in tech before, but that saw this thing on Craigslist Mm -hmm. and they give them this test and the test says, all right, Ruben, you're going to be dope at coding. And then, <laughs> and like it's really? it's like ninety nine percent accurate. <laughs> That's um, dope. Yeah, I'm probably fudging that number. Maybe it's ninety eight or whatever, No, I, I would be good
0: at coding. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs>
2: but it's pretty. But it's pretty accurate, right? Mm-hmm. And and again, these are people that had never, probably never touched the. Well, not, I do not say touch computer, but had never coded anything in their life before. Yeah. And then they they train them for six months. So yeah. they teach them how to code for six months, and they put them in the field. Yeah. Right. And this company are winning deals from corporations like Nike and, and you know other Fortune 100 companies. Yep. And the folks that are doing the work are not you know these Stanford CS majors, et cetera. Yep. And they're quite competitive. Yep. So it's a matter of just looking in the right places and trying to find that talent. And then also, if the founders are diverse, then their team is going to be diverse, yep. right? So if you get a founding team of four white men it's likely that the vast majority of people that they bring into the company are going to resemble them. Mm-hmm. If you get a team that has, you know, um, a black woman, I don't know, um, you know, a Latino man, you know, and a white guy, yeah, then odds are their team is going to be more more diverse. Yeah. Right? I mean, if
0: you play ball with somebody before and you want to play in another game, you're going to bring the people that you used to play with before. So exactly. So yeah,
2: <laughs> and I think
1: the point you brought up. Just now, it's about finding the hidden geniuses, and a lot of the times, especially in the valley, people, companies tend to recruit people based on their like pedigree or their resume. So, if you haven't worked at Facebook or Google, then some other company might say like, "Well, our target companies is like we want to get engineers or product managers who worked at those companies before," which pretty much narrows down their search to the that like less than one percent of available talent. And then there's all this other talent out there, which is kind of like the arbit- like they're the arbitrage in terms of recruiting. It's like if you can identify those people, they'll work for you, they'll stay with you longer and they'll be more like more mission driven than just someone who just switches jobs from Facebook to Google to to Apple. So yeah. I think there's definitely something there. And we're starting to see more trends of companies like Thinking about that, but to your point, there's not a lot of action, and uh, I think that's something that Breaking the service podcast is trying to address. That you kind of have to take the ownership of, like I guess, the people listening. You have to take the ownership to tell your story really well. So when you are speaking to that recruiter at Facebook or Google, you're able to explain to them why you're qualified from all the stuff that you've done before. So then they can now go and try to convince their hiring manager that hey, this is the person that you got to give a shot. Or if you so, talked
0: to any the people in cross-culture portfolio companies, they'll immediately understand because they've been through what you've been through. So yeah. And then, and let's talk a little bit about your team, right? So you, you worked at a startup before you've worked in tech before, you know, how did, can you tell talk a little bit about your team, their backgrounds, how you put that team together? You know, it's very hard for a lot of people from underrepresented backgrounds to raise money, let alone start their own fund. How did you do that? Talk about that. That's a, that's a lot. <laughs>
2: So I was first introduced to my co-founder, Troy Carter, by Frida K. klein Okay. And Frida has been a longtime mentor of mine. And so when I came up with the idea, when I decided I was going to create a venture firm and talked to her about the idea and begged her to be an advisor, she was like, you know, she was on board because she believed in me. Mm-hmm. But she also said, you know, this thing could really go, go even further if you connected with Troy at the time, I didn't understand, you know, what that was, what that was about. I just, you know, I just, oh, Lady Gaga, he managed her and <laughs> he maybe does some angel investing, but I didn't, I didn't get what a incredible marketing mind, you know, he, he has. And so anyway, so I, I flew down to, at the time I was living in the Bay area. I flew down to LA to, to, to meet with him and it clicked automatically. It's like, mm. you know, when we're talking about what the thesis that, the, um, you know, the theme that we want to invest under, it all just kind of made sense like, ah, this is why, because mm-hmm. we saw the world in a very similar way. Yeah. And so, you know, six months, you know, after just kind of meeting and talking and getting to know each other, we said, all right, well, let's do it together. And so that's how, that's how we started. Mm-hmm. And then as we were going through it, Cause you know he he has a a portfolio through his management company Atom Factory yep. of something like seventy eighty investments. Oh wow. I mean these are companies like Spotify and Uber, Lyft, mm-hmm. Warby Parker, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like mm-hmm. going in household yeah. names in, in the <laughs> you know in the tech game, right? So he was hiring someone to to kind of manage that portfolio for him, right? Mm-hmm. So basically to go and interact with them and figure out what they need at what you know points in time and then bring that back and let's figure out how to help them. Mm-hmm. And as a woman, that's a woman named Susie Rue. Oh, I love Susie. Yeah, Shout Susie. Out. Goes, she's Shout awesome. Out to Susie. And so through that job, she ended up because cross culture and Adam Factory worked so closely together because uh-huh. of the Troy connection, we started spending so much time together. And it was clear that she was a talent. Yep. And so and specifically her talents are around building communities. Mm-hmm. Right, and she has an incredible memory, yeah, which is very helpful in certain meeting meetings, <laughs> but so that was our that's our core yeah. right, right there, right You got the the guy that's like a a talented marketer uh-huh. with an incredible network, you have a woman that's an amazing community builder, mm-hmm. and you know wow. just has a an impeccable mind and memory that shows itself to be useful in in a lot of a lot of ways. And you have a, you know, a guy that was in an early stage startup that saw an exit that was a consultant and that was a corporate VC for a number of years. Yeah. So those skills just kind of come together. Yeah. And then Troy's eldest son, Danny, had just graduated from, from undergraduate and he had been working in and out of startups like that whole time. Oh, wow. And so we brought him on as our chief of staff. Nice. And- Super analytical mind, yeah, and just knowledgeable and a lot of he's. If you talk to him and and you spend some time with him, like you won't believe that. Okay, this is someone that just graduated from college a year ago.
0: Yeah, right. He's yeah.
2: like, <laughs> he's like, he's worldly. Yeah, I would say that's our core team. And then you know we do some interesting things like we've worked with uh, schools like Kellogg and and Columbia, mm-hmm. and we've brought in you know, MBA students during the school year to spend time with us mm-hmm. for course credit, mm-hmm. right? So that helps us on our budget and they get the experience that they want. We get some, we get to borrow their talent for a while, mm-hmm. you know, and of course they get the, the course credit that they want while doing something that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So, so we've had a number of, of those interns and then HBCUVC mm-hmm. program I just joined the board of and helped, write some of the initial video curriculum mm-hmm. for and we took a couple of their undergraduate interns for uh for this whole school year actually they're still with us now. So that helps us out with um in terms of bandwidth when we're evaluating deals and, and things like that. And um this summer actually we're partnering with SVB mm-hmm. to hire an MBA intern. Oh nice. so, yeah. So that person's probably We're going through the applications now, but it's probably, you know, someone that just wrapped up their their first year of MBA school that has some exposure to tech or and or finance and really wants to pursue a career in either startups or venture.
0: So if if you're listening right now and you're in the community, can you repeat who who you're looking for?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So it's a rising uh, second year MBA student. Yeah. That, you know, either has had experience in tech or a, a relevant field, some, maybe finance or consulting, and that is really passionate about pursuing a career in tech startups and or venture capital. Yep. And I really want to encourage black and, and Latino women to apply yep. uh, because that's the group that's most underrepresented in venture. Yep. So if we can get, you know, I, I think it, it starts one at a time, right? Yeah. So if we can, if we can get someone from that demographic to come in, learn the business, build experience, and build a network in the yep. space, it's likely that that person could ultimately enter the space full time. Yep. And then you know, like we we talked about before, you're gonna if, if you're a diverse person, you're going to advocate for other diverse people, and then that's how we change. You know what the face of venture looks like. Yeah. So really want to encourage black and Latino women to apply. Got it.
0: So you, you've invested in several media entities and something I think will be interesting to talk about is like you've invested in Gimlet and Blavity. Can you talk about the differences between both, why you think media is important and how it affects the tech world in general and, and even this pipeline issue?
2: Well, both are, I call them new media companies because mm-hmm. they're not the traditional kind of media companies. Gimlet was special to us because we saw a business that was going to disrupt another, an old big business. So, and for that, for, for me, that meant talk radio, Yep. Yeah. right? So talk radio makes a lot of money in advertising, mm-hmm. right? And if you, you think about podcasting, it's essentially talk radio, talk radio right? <laughs> whether it be storytelling, whether it be news, whatever, it's, yeah. it's talk radio, but the key difference here is that the information that an advertiser gets you know from a a gimlet media is way more sophisticated, way more comprehensive than you would ever get from radio right because radio you can't i can't I can't say that one or all three of you actually listen to this program mm-hmm. actually listen to that that commercial yeah right i can't say specifically what your're demographic is did you go to college where did you know did you live in this place or that place where were you when you were listening right how did you listen yeah these are this is all useful like um (laughs) marketing information right Mm -hmm. and they can provide that so now as an advertiser you know exactly who you want to target and you can you can exactly and specifically target that person yeah So it's going to disrupt that business and it's starting to in in a really, really big way.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And then Blavity, you know, it had a, so Blavity seemed more traditional in the sense that, you know, you have like these different platforms that cater to women or cater to travel or cater to millennial blacks, you know? But what was different is that they figured out a way to capture the voice of what is it, $165 billion worth of spending power, and the voice, the sentiment, the attitudes of that group that's growing, a group that brands really want to understand and really want to market to. Because again, they spend 30% more of their income on consumer products and technology than any other demographic. Yeah. Right. And they've captured their voice and their attention, yeah, so that's and they've done it in I mean it's uh just short of a four year old company, mm-hmm. and I won't give you their exact stats, but we're talking orders of magnitude more in terms of um, active monthly users in terms of monthly impressions than companies that have been focusing on this demographic for 10, 20 years. Yep,
0: yep, going in.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and so it's the, the fact that they were able to do, do that, that and it's growing, you know, then they created a conference around tech for black millennials. It's Afrotech. Right? Afro-tech <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the first year, what was it? 500 uh, attendees. Yep. Second year it was 2,000 wow. with a 3,000 person wait list. Wow, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and it's growing. It's yeah. just like they have the attention, yeah. Of that demo and that demo, I, I can't express how important that demo is for brands going forward. So yeah, no. those, that's why we did
0: those respect, respect. And and something that you you've touched on a few times is, is location, specifically outside of Silicon Valley, like LA, Maryland. You've done investment Boston. We're going to be in Miami next week, and you you've done work in Miami with Felicia. Can you talk a- about uh, your thoughts on location, the work that you've done specifically in Miami since we're going to be there, and then. Yeah. Just your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I think that great minds are not Silicon Valley does not have a hold on all great minds or a lock on all great minds. Like great minds are all over the world mm-hmm. and challenges are, are all over the world. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, the, the challenges that most of the challenges that we care about that are going to create new markets and and, and do things like that are from communities that are unlike Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So, in order to and and on top of that, the people that are going to solve those problems are from those communities. Mm-hmm. So, we strongly believe that you've got to get out into those communities to meet those meet those founders. I hear about their uh, the challenges that they're that they're trying to solve and how they're going, the approach that they're taking to solving those problems. Mm-hmm. So that means you've got to get out around the country, around the world. We got a company in, in Nairobi, Kenya. You got to get out and see this. If I think if you're going to be successful, if you're going to spot emerging trends and invest along those those lines, so that's our philosophy. And and you know, so we've done investments. I mentioned Maryland, New Orleans, the Bay Area, of course, L.A., Brooklyn, New York, Nairobi, Kenya, Paris, France. I'm probably missing Boston. I don't think we've done one in Boston.
0: But essentially, if you come if you come from those neighborhoods. It's not just that you are a strong fit to start a company, but you might be a good fit to break into a startup that's solving the problem that's relevant to you. So, for the people that are listening, you know that's actually a superpower. That thing that you might think is disqualifying you from working at a company, it's actually putting you at an advantage to other people that have the same technical skills that you do, but you have contacts, which we talked about on a different podcast.
2: Yeah, and in Miami, and so, Miami yeah. yeah, so so Miami was interesting, right? So we don't have a Latinx person on our team, mm-hmm. right? But that's the fastest growing demo in, in the country. I got somebody for you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> all right, like, like by far, right? And so when I thought about Miami, there's a lot of um, Latin people in Miami, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I partnered with Felicia Hatcher and Derek Pearson, Code Fever and Black Tech Week and um, the Knight Foundation. Mm-hmm. And Shout out to them. Yeah. And I went down to Miami, I think it was last year, April, Mm -hmm. and I just lived there for a month and (laughs) and did and did like office hours. I think I did two hours of office hours with with entrepreneurs Monday through Thursday for the whole month. Amazing. Yeah. And it was great because like you're, you know, boots on the ground. Right. And you're learning about what are some of the um, the businesses that they're trying to create, why they're trying to create them. Mm -hmm. And then meeting the investor community down there too. So yeah. that, you know, after I leave, I got, you know, eyes and, and ears yeah. about the next hot thing that that's coming out of there. But I think doing things like that is is really important. You can't, it's hard to understand a market, you know, if you don't like go into it and spend time there.
0: What are some of the unique challenges that you saw during that time period for the founders and the talent that were out there?
2: I think uh, I saw... It was weird, right? Because I was expecting to just see like one problem being like you know repeated, yeah. but it, it wasn't. I saw people creating stuff for import export. Mm-hmm. I saw medical devices companies. Yeah, I saw you know there was an education company that was kind of focused on how do you pay back get get your students loan student loans pay back quicker by by volunteering your time. That's how like There were up. all types of. All types of companies um, doing a variety of, of things.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like it. And I like that you're on the ground. Your boots are on the ground. You're speaking to the people way ahead of the curve, uh, where in the Bay Area, you're kind of isolated by the same kind of speak from a lot of different uh, like people. When it comes to, I guess, your beliefs about where the venture capital world is going, where the tech world is going, is there something that you
2: strongly believe in that others don't? So I guess it would, you know, it would go back to our, to our thesis, right? I think culture wins. Yeah. I think culture wins. I think looking at diverse communities and their challenges, right? And I think billion dollar businesses are going to be created around those challenges. And a lot of investors aren't doing that, yep. um, aren't, aren't really thinking about that. And they will, Right. Uh, and it'll be great because we'll be in the company first and then they can come in and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, help take it the rest of the way. But um, happy to be the, the trailblazer. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Love it.
1: So at this point in the podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where the three of us will ask, will ask you questions. But we're looking for strategies, resources that our listeners can take and apply right away. Uh, so with that said, Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So this question kind of takes it back to the basics. And um, you've started over multiple times in different careers, different cities. So if you were giving advice to some, or I guess if you were dropped in a new city and you only had $100, what would you do and how would you spend that $100 to get back on your feet and break into that industry?
2: hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, so you're,
1: you're working on a budget here and assume that let's say food is taken care of, but you only have a hundred bucks. How would you spend
2: that a hundred dollars? Food
0: and shelter. You're good.
2: Yeah. Food and shelter taken care of. I would buy people. So first of all, before I even get there, um, I'm going to figure out who do I need to, to talk to, to learn about that, in, that environment. Right. So who are the people that I need to, to meet with? Right. I'm going to find my plug essentially. And then, um, so how would you do that? Twitter, LinkedIn, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, phone calls. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure I know somebody in that city <laughs> <laughs> somewhere. Um, you know, there, there are a ton of um, uh, co-working facilities now. Maybe reach out to someone that that runs that to you know understand some of the programming that's that's going on, and just be strategic about when I actually go there. who i'm gonna who i'm gonna sit down with and you know maybe i use the hundred dollars to to buy some coffee for uh for a bunch of different people or to um sometimes these things are you know paid admittance so use it for that i think it's less about the money it's more about taking a strategic approach yeah um to it right and and finding i've been really big for every career that i've i've i guess this is my third now if you count sports it's Fourth, but in terms of like using my brain is my um, my third career. And each career that that I've embarked on, I've always had a mentor, someone that understood that space better than me, that I could talk to to learn about the space. And sometimes even more importantly, that could, again, be that plug that could connect me to the next person that I could build a relationship with, that could connect me to the next person, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. That's actually pretty similar to how when
1: Ruben moved out, like when we all three decided to move out to Yosef and Ruben made his first trip to Silicon Valley. He had a bunch of coffee meetings, made the connections, and then all three of us moved out.
0: Lots of mentors, lots of people looking out. mentorship was important. I think you were one of the first people I met. I think it was through Nate or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of mentors, this question actually comes from Free Intelligent Conversations. We have a member in the room who's going to ask a question later. But um, what is something that one of your mentors told you that forever – changed your way of thinking?
2: When I decided that I was going to do venture capital, because first, first it was a software company. I think I was like employee number 12 and had a good run there. The company was sold to SAP and I decided I wanted to get into something that would give me more breath, right? Because for like three, three and a half years, I was working with the same software package, even though I had variety in terms of the verticals that we worked in, package was the same was like, I want to do more. So so then I jumped into consulting and did that for a while and was pretty good at it. It was like post M&A integration stuff with the Blackstone Group. Then it was um, media strategy for media and entertainment companies. And what I learned there was I didn't have enough skin in the game. I needed more than just to deliver a strategy and then then move on and hope that it it got implemented. So after that, experience I was like, all right, well what do I like? I like I like strategy conversations at the executive level. I like love technology, right? Especially at the cutting or or, or bleeding edge. I definitely wanna have skin in the game to feel motivated. And I wanna I want variety. And so for me that that turned into into venture capital. Yeah. And so getting to the to your actual question, when I decided I was going to, to do that and structured a, a path i sat down with one of my mentors at the time and he was just like look if you want to be a vc you got to be one before you are actually a mm, vc i like that and what what he meant by that was you got to start meeting with companies yep. right you got to start developing you know your own opinion on technology and and, and where tech is going yep. and you got to be able to have you know substantive conversations with people that work in the field about your views. So kind of do portions of the the portions that you can do. I didn't have money to invest in companies, so wasn't going to be able to do that part. But everything else, like advising companies, you know, just uh, learning about tech, about trends, et cetera. I could do all of that. Um, Networking into the space, I could do all of that.
0: Yeah, and I think that goes for anything. I, I know, I remember when our team were, when they were going through boot camps and when we talked to a lot of people that have been through boot camps, a lot of times they don't feel like they can call themselves software engineer after training for three to six months, but you have to call yourself a software engineer and believe it and act like it and do it and present yourself that way and not come off junior. And you'll have people that come out with these huge offers because of the way that they presented themselves, not because they were the best engineer, it's because they were kind of like doing the workforce first and like talking that way and acting that way. So that's really good advice. Yeah.
1: So you talked about culture a lot. And I think th- there's definitely some listeners who want to learn more. And I know you you invested in a podcast company you and a Blavity. What other resources would you recommend for someone who wants to learn more about culture and be on the front lines other
2: than the companies you just mentioned? So I'll, I'll, I'll give ourselves a, a plug real quick. We wrote a report. Well, we do a series of reports. We call them the state of tech and culture. And um, the last one that we did was culture as currency. So I'd say first thing you can do is go to our website and download yep. that report. It gets into a lot of challenges in, you know, those underserved communities and how technology is playing a part to build better lives and to address those challenges. So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is go out and experience it. Like there's nothing, there's nothing greater in this world than lived experiences. So, you know, if if you're interested in a specific culture, go there, talk to the people there, understand it. We've seen companies that, you know, have had missteps because they've, you know, created a company that is either trying to appropriate a culture or is trying to, you know, eradicate a certain a certain piece of that culture. And they jump in and they don't understand exactly what they did, the, um, you know, the emotional strings that, that they pulled or what that thing meant to the people in that, in that culture. And it backfires in the, in a huge yeah. way, especially today when everyone has a cell phone. Yeah. And-
0: is it, is it okay if we call out that specific company or do you think that would, because I think it's important for people to research that organization. <laughs> I'll call them out. It was the. Just look up the thing around bodegas and startups, and I'll just leave it at that. All right. That's
2: on. one. They had, they had a challenge, yeah. Marlon, a lot of our listeners uh, struggle with imposter syndrome, especially as they're trying to break into tech. What's your strongest piece of advice uh, for people struggling with imposter syndrome and trying to get through that? So I think if you have humility, <laughs> it's something that, that you will likely ex- experience. I think the key is knowing what you're good at and leading with that. Right, so, when I was in business school, I was a leadership fellow there, so I took a lot of leadership courses and the beginning of that program was about introspection, understanding me, right, my strengths and my weaknesses and then once I understood my strengths, always lead with those, you know try to make make your weaknesses you know level them up, but focus on your on your strengths so If I know going back to a a sports analogy, right, if I'm if I'm Clay Thompson and I know that, you know, I'm a stellar defender Mm -hmm. and and an excellent shooter, that's what I'm going to lead. with, (laughs) Right. Like the other stuff, like, yeah, sure, I could pass the ball a little bit. I could dribble a little bit, but no one's going to hire me for that. That's not what, you know, that's not where my strength is. My strength, I'm a, I can shoot that three yeah. and I can lock down that other guard. You, and you
0: know that three is coming, but because you're so good at it, it's going to happen every time.
2: Right. <laughs> so, so if you know that, you know that that is your strength, just lead with that. And there's, there's no way that you can feel like an imposter when you're, you're being truthful about what your strength actually is. And you're, you know, you're living life and you're, and you're moving in accordance with that.
0: Yeah. I like that. What's the best recent conversation that you've had and what made it so memorable? I have so many conversations,
2: <laughs> you know what the, this is more personal. Um, So I spend a lot of time with our, with our founders, our CEOs, mm-hmm. both, you know, talking through whatever, whatever challenges they're, they're going through in the business mm-hmm. and sometimes personal. And, you know, I'm really close with, uh, with, uh, with, with one of our founders and, you know, he was going through a personal, personal thing. Yeah. And just the fact that like, you know, he came to me to kind of talk it through yeah. and get my, my opinion on that thing was huge Big for deal. me, huge. I can't get into the specifics, yeah, yeah. But, personal, yeah. but just to know that, you know, you've built such a deep relationship. That's um, not transactional. Yeah it's terrific because th- this business is about the people.
0: Really, yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Love it. Is there anything that we've covered, we haven't covered that you would like to cover? And do you have any gems to drop on the episode that you've never dropped anywhere else? <laughs> <laughs> we want to be the first. <laughs> Exclusive.
2: You know, I don't know if it's uh <laughs> if it's a gem that I haven't dropped before, but it's something that I think all founders should do. And that's just, You got to build. Yeah. Right. One thing I've I know I've said somewhere on stage before is like you can have like an investor can have an opinion Mm -hmm. about an idea, about a concept. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not really an opinion anymore if there are facts um, to support that idea and that and that concept. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I think what I said was like, you know, you there's no opinion about. 30 million active, <laughs> active users, yeah. the users right? <laughs> like that's significant, mm-hmm. right? So whether or not I like your idea, <laughs> it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter. Like that fact is going to make me kind of sit up and
0: listen,
2: right? Yeah. So I think you just gotta, you gotta build something and try to grow it in however way you can with whatever resources you have. yeah. And, you know, just, just bet on yourself first. Go all in first.
0: And that was going to be my last question, but the point that you said about like whatever resources that you have, a lot of people think that they immediately have to raise and a lot of money in order to be successful. Can you talk about like building with limited resources and the importance of getting traction before you talk to investors?
2: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, Blavity is three years old. They've raised more um, recently, but to get to the point where where they were at when they had two thousand people at the AfroTech conference and a significant number of, uh, of monthly impressions and active users and all that stuff, you know, that was done on maybe a million dollars. No, <laughs> right to be able to have the statistics and the the hold on that market that like I mentioned, other companies that have been in the game for 20, 30 years don't have is incredible. Yeah, You mentioned Maven earlier, you know, when Deshaun started, Mm -hmm. he didn't have real tech Mm -hmm. (laughs) behind it. Right. Yeah, Like he would go to hair salons and be like, look, I want you to, I'm doing this thing. I Mm -hmm. want you to try it out. And basically gave them the number to text with the the skew of hair and the amount
0: mm-hmm. you know
2: they, they thought they were texting into into a, a platform they yeah. were texting Deshaun and he was and he was filling the orders That's right awesome. so um, MVP it, yeah and then he was basically able to go to investors you know after a certain point and like look mm-hmm. this is there's a market opportunity here mm-hmm. right imagine if we could add some add some technology behind this yep. and automate um, more of it imagine how much we would scale yeah and that's, you know, that's an easier conversation to have than to say, you know, I think, yeah. you know, a hairstylist would want to, um, to buy, you know, hair from us directly and gain a percentage of the revenue, yep. like showing
0: it. Love it. Love it. So don't just talk about it, do something about it. And then when it's growing, then tell the investors and they'll get excited.
2: Yeah, get users first. Yeah, love it. Okay,
0: cool. Um, uh, what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you?
2: I like social, so Marlon C. Nichols on Twitter, on Instagram. My email is Marlon at crossculturevc.com
0: Love it, man. Well thank you, Marlon. Next time we'll we'll do it in LA at your headquarters and we'll go from there. <laughs> All right, for, man, sure. So. for sure, for well, sure. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Peace.
1: Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't want you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.